It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who has been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. You're listening to Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for dropping in. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Now, this hour I've set aside to bring you up to date on a whole variety of electric car news. This is different than the autonomous vehicle features that we often talk about here on the show. There are plenty of things going on in the space that most likely will impact you long before the move to self-driving cars in the coming years. I will share with you what you need to know. I will also clarify the differences between a connected, electric, and an autonomous vehicle. Because a lot of times people are using these... I wouldn't say interchangeably, but the definitions tend to get easily blurred, and I'm going to set that straight. I am sure we will get to everything I want to share with you during this hour, but I'm going to give it the old college try because you never know. We get caught up. I'm pretty sure we're going to get to all of it, but we'll try. We'll see what happens. Yeah, really. (laughs) Oh, my. As usual, we will rummage together for automotive news from the parts bin covering the bits and pieces of breaking news I want to share with you. But first, as always, I want to introduce you to the other members of the Roadworthy Drive crew that keeps this program on an even keel week after week, even in spite of themselves. That would be Jack, my friend and executive producer at the controls, and Sasha, Roadworthy Drive's very own social media diva, holding it down on mic two. Howdy, folks. Hello. Oh, Lord, really? Do I, we... I don't know what to think about that introduction. Yeah, I don't really know that we keep it on an even keel. Uh, did, you, did you hear the part of even in spite of yourselves? I mean... Well, that's the part I'm having problems with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I am the, the professional producer here. Mm-hmm. Right, yes. I have a standard that I must maintain. And I'm the talent. And, and I am the professional antic instigator. Uh, that's not even a thing, is it? I, I'm pretty sure it's a thing. Um, I made if it. I remember correctly, it was in your job description that you actually wrote. Yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. I don't understand how the suits approved that. Um, it wasn't the suits issue. Ah. Oh, my. Well, before I continue, just so you know, we always want to hear from you, our faithful listeners. Call or text me to the Roadworthy Drive line. That's 872-222-9793. Or email me, that's ken at roadworthydrive.com. No matter which way you choose, you'll be able to connect with us here in studio. And yeah, despite our antics, we'd love to hear from you. Let's talk a little bit about what I got going on in the parts bin right now. What did you find this week that came across your desk? Uh, the financing is in your favor. Uh, yeah, I can vouch from that from way back in November. Yeah, well, let me read this to you. With the auto sales Figures down from last year, it appears that the market is tilting in favor of the consumer. This is a recent report by WalletHub. We've talked about them before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Here are some of their key findings. Interest rates for new cars are at the lowest point in the past three years, with the average car loan charging some 14% less than average. First off, what would be the average amount that they would be charging right now? Well, my guess is probably in the between four to five percent range. 
Okay, so if it's down 14%, that's You're probably be... in the 3 3.5% range. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a good time to borrow money. Yes, it is. It, it, particularly if you've got excellent credit, you get even a bigger benefit uh, because the average interest rate for people with excellent credit is down 10% since 2015. Mm-hmm. Now, as always, if you're like a lot of us that have what we would call fair credit, and for the purposes of this conversation, we're really talking about a credit score of less than 620. Now, you, now you're saying 620 and up would be considered a fair credit score? Would be better, but below 620 is not good. Okay. And you really need to get above 700 to be considered good. So, okay, But basically, yeah, if you're below 620, you're fair. A lot of this has changed in the, since 2008, really. Yes, in some ways, but we're also returning to easy credit. Back then, credit got hardcore, and it was very tough to get in the depths of the recession. But, you are right. But let me break this down for you. If now people with fair credit, if you've yeah. got less than 620, this is a fact that blew my mind, you will end up spending five times more to finance a vehicle than somebody with excellent credit. Let me give an example. If you're paying about 3.5% with excellent credit, you're mm-hmm. probably somewhere near 15%. Yeah. Yeah, that would be about five times. And that's quite a bit of money over five years. Yes, it is. You'd be paying more. But a little, a little note from Ken. If you find yourself in this situation, don't panic. One of the things that, that I advise and I encourage people to do, you may not know, and a lot of people don't realize, that federal law requires the three credit agencies to allow you a copy for nothing of your credit report once a year. That is correct. However, you will pay for the credit score. Mm, not necessarily. You're, well, you need to get your credit report in order to figure out what your score is. And here's the reason. How do I put this gently? Just put it. The credit report is often full of either old or inaccurate information that should be purged. By purging this and contesting it, because every entry they ha- have to, you have to have a uh, a way to contact that person or that mm-hmm. that organization is a phone number. Mm-hmm. That very often purging inaccurate and old stuff from your record would improve your credit score. I thought that stuff was supposed to drop off every seven years. It's supposed to, but it doesn't always, and you need to be vigilant. So people who maybe 10 years ago didn't have good credit but you know, have not checked and have done things to improve their credit mm-hmm. may actually have better credit than they think uh, or may have the opportunity to clean up their credit score. Uh, one of the things, people with a similar name, different middle initial mm-hmm. and they're putting it on your credit report or credit uh, information from your kids okay. they're putting on yours. I can answer this one. Yeah. Um, they put stuff on my credit report that belongs to my dad because I'm a junior and he's a senior and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And we've, need- had to, we've had to go straighten that out. But I thought I would go to like Equifax, just using them as an example, to, to get that stuff taken off that's been well, seven years old. Here's the challenge. That's not enough. There are three credit agencies. So I have to talk to the other two. Yeah. And really, the two you really want to talk to is Equifax. Experian. No. 
is Experian and TransUnion. Equifax was the ones that got caught in that well, breach. Well, I know that they caught, got caught in the breach, but I was absolutely told TransUnion, you, nobody trusts TransUnion no. anymore. But most dealers, most car people use Experian. Mm-hmm. So you, if you're going to go to one of them, start there. Start, okay. And then it really depends because sometimes they take a average of the three, average of the two. They'll look at more than just one Correct. very often. So the best bet really go to all three and and find out. But typically Experian is a little lower. TransUnion's a little higher. Excuse me. But, yeah, if you're going to start, start with Experian. Okay. And then work your way. Because that alone, one, you might find that your credit score is actually higher than you thought. Two, you might be able to find some things on there that should be taken off that will raise your credit score. Mm -hmm. And that just happened with a bunch of medical information last year. Uh, The Consumer Financial – I forget the name. Oh, boy. But But it's a federal agency. It's a federal agency that looks out for consumer finance. Right. And they just uh, pushed some things through – that took a lot of information off of people's uh, credit reports as it relates to medical expenses. Okay. And in some cases, when we reported it here, pushed up some scores as much as 40 points. So, food for thought on that. Really quick, remember we talked about Mitsubishi yep. in the past? Um, and the fact that the Nissan and Renault people bought control. Right. Sales are up. Sales are up. And it's thanks to them, they're still in business. And their top markets, honestly, are um, China and the USA. And worldwide, last year, of the 10.6 million vehicles that Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi sold, Mitsubishi sold a million vehicles. Now, that I would have had any idea with. Around the world. Because at least two years ago, you and I were talking about the fact on this show Mm -hmm. that we thought they were done. If if Nissan Renault had not invested in them and moved their people over there, they would have been done. For a whole some scandals there in Japan, some quality issues around, yeah, they saved them. And it looks like they're going to be the small car part of that relationship. But I thought I'd throw that out there that uh, they're on the mend. Coming up next, electric cars and infrastructure. You are listening to Roadworthy Drive. Want more than your share of the road? Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Facebook. If you were an international scout, you could show the whole world where to get off. (laughs) If you were an international scout, you'd have a big V8 engine and leave the other guys in your dust. You'd be a going son of a gun. You'd have your own special automatic transmission. And with that international frame and suspension going for you, too, everyone will admire your build. If you were an international scout, 
you'd have the four-wheel drive to go wherever you please to the top of the world if you want to. If you think the International Scout has all the fun, you're right. You'll find that out when you drive a Scout yourself. You'll see. As they used to say, anything else is just a car. And the look on Sasha's face was priceless. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're just joining us, welcome. This is Roadworthy Drive, and I'm Ken Chester. Before I get to the subject at hand, I want to take a moment to clarify... Several terms that no doubt you have heard bandied about in the normal discourse <laughs> with blurred definitions for sure. And we're all about full disclosure and the right information. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine that people get an understanding of the terms. So rather than just throw terms at you, occasionally we like to explain the terms we're using so you would have a better understanding of what we're talking about. So the terms I want to share with you and explain for a moment before we continue are connected, electric, autonomous, and I'm throwing in a fourth one, mobility. Now, we don't talk a lot about the connected car here, but chances are if you own a car that's seven years old or newer, you're driving a connected car, minivan, crossover, SUV, truck. Yeah, you're driving one. Now, what does that mean? It means a vehicle that has an automotive device that connects to other devices within the vehicle, Networks or services and or networks, services, or devices outside the car, including other cars, home, office, or infrastructure, and Internet access is usually connected to a local area network. And now you literally can talk to Alexa, either from your vehicle to your home or from your home to your vehicle. So this is kind of the next range. But chances are... If you own a new vehicle or a vehicle that's seven years older, newer, it's connected in some way. An electric car. Now, we, and we're a little bit guilty of this, where we almost talk about electric cars and autonomous cars almost interchangeably. And while one will lead into the other, they are not. There are electric cars on the road, but there are different types. There's the battery electric, which has batteries on board. Um, that are used to turn electric, an electric motor uh, with no gasoline engine at all. Some of these battery electrics are rechargeable. You can, what they call a plug-in electric, you literally charge it into an electric socket at night to recharge the battery. There are others that use hydrogen in what they call a fuel cell. And the hydrogen um, you, is, uses the fuel cell to generate um, the electricity required to turn the electric motor. It's a little more complicated, but that's what that's about, basically. At the end of the day, you're turning an electric motor. So you've got that going on. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about the autonomous car? Well, let's call it by its other terms. Uh, You've heard autonomous, self-driving, and driverless car. These are all the same, talking about the same type of vehicle. This is a vehicle that has the technology to operate without a human driver or human interaction or control at all. It is completely its ability to drive itself, whether a human is in the vehicle or not even. Uh, It's also called, uh, in the transportation world, what they call a level four autonomous vehicle. You'll hear that. That is the top of the realm in terms of being 
fully autonomous. You'll hear the words level four. Now, vehicles that are not fully autonomous, you might hear level one, two, three, um, have some of the features. You may hear the word semi-autonomous, and you may also hear the word highly automated vehicles. It is conditional. It means that these vehicles have the ability to act on their own under certain situations but are not fully autonomous. They still require some human interaction at some point. So I wanted to clear the air on those right quick, and I'm saving the best for last. Um, it's a term that I can't explain enough or often enough, and that's mobility. This term's evolved in recent years. It used to mean transportation devices and support to help the physically challenged, and that's it. But the term now encompasses the complete transportation world, from bicycles to public transit, virtual takeoff and landing vehicles even, and autonomous vehicles, any kind of way you can get from point A to point B. It's called the world of mobility. Ford, Toyota, GM are now trying to be uh, mobility companies as opposed to uh, car and truck companies. Um, you're going to want to remember that term because you're going to hear a lot more of it as things continue to evolve. Now, having said all of that, there has been plenty of discussion amongst the Roadworthy Drive crew over the last few years concerning the need, development, and support of an electric charging infrastructure to support the growing number of electric vehicles that are projected to hit the streets in the coming years. I've always contended if you build it, they'll come. The infrastructure will get built. And I wanted to look at a little bit of what's going on now. Let me start with just one project going on right now. And I want to make the point that not all of this is going on in just California. This project is going on in the New England and Mid-Atlantic states. Okay. And what they're talking about is looking at uh, developing a project in 11 states, infrastructure planning uh, for what they call an EV corridor analysis to actually add to infrastructure where necessary and the type of infrastructure they need to add to support the charging of electric vehicles. Okay. Let's back this up for a second. Back this train up. There are two, in my mind, there are two different definitions of infrastructure right now. Okay. What I'm going to call the charging stations in a parking lot is infrastructure. Mm hmm But we also have the grid infrastructure. Okay. Let's, let's, let's pull this apart for a minute. Okay. We're talking about electric charging infrastructure at this point. Okay. As opposed to the electric utility power generation and delivery structure, okay. which they need to go hand in hand. What we're talking about here is points where an individual who owns an electric car can pull in and be recharged, but there are different charging speeds. So they're even looking at places where you can get a quick charge, which may give you 30, 40, 50% of your charge in maybe 15, 20 minutes, uh, places where there's a full charge where over a period of time you can get completely recharged. And they're looking at this study, basically interstates uh, from Maryland to Maine and all the states in between. Here's a fun fact. Uh, the leading company in this space is called ChargePoint. They have over 46,000 points. When we come back, the truth about lithium. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Oh, 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 
Drive. Like us on Facebook. Welcome to the downhill side of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. So glad you could be with us. I'm Ken Chester. For those of you who may not know, we have a website. Yep, roadworthydrive.com is the place to listen to past shows, watch videos of our behind-the-scenes antics in studio as we produce the show, and more. The website's also a great place to discover where we are in the world of social media. Sasha's a social media diva who keeps things light and lively during the week between shows. And occasionally uh, between breaks. <laughs> See how she keeps the social in our social media. Would you call our discussions for the for our folks watching us live, would you consider that a discussion or a brawl? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Just checking. You know, it depends on your point of view. There you go. Now, <laughs> with that out of the way, um, I want to talk about raw materials. When we think about electric vehicles, we often don't realize that the lithium of the lightweight lithium-ion batteries that are the core of the power storage in the average battery electric is a mineral that is mined. And this is where things get interesting. Uh, why Sasha and the country of Chile mm. have more in common than you think. Okay, I'll bite. How is that possible? Well, let me take you back a little bit. Okay. Um, lithium. Um, often called white petroleum, believe it or not, mm -hmm. and was discovered 200 years ago as in, in metal form. Now, the dominant, the beautiful part about lithium, it's lighter than lead, holds more percentage of it in charge. You can charge a higher percent okay. than lead. It's rechargeable. It's lightweight and relatively inexpensive. And it's become the energy storage Technology of choice for electric vehicles, power grids, and really there's really nothing else out there when you're looking at cost, availability, and price that it can rival. Now, for me to wander off into the weeds a little bit, um, Toyota and uh, Dyson, the folks, the vacuum cleaner folks, yes, yes. Um, are looking at, and a few others, are looking at developing what they call a solid-state battery using lithium. Because mm -hmm. lithium liquid has had problems okay. that, that we've heard about, it, particularly if you've got like a hover around or a cell phone or... Right, or the notes yeah, that were Catching fire. From. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> In any case, um, they wanted to go to a solid state, solid material, because it's easier, it's more stable. But that technology, unfortunately, is anywhere from five to ten years away of being commercially viable. So what they're trying to do in the meanwhile, with all this increase, they're looking for more sources of lithium. And my guess is they found it someplace in the country called Chile. Yeah. In fact, Chile has the most mineable, available, plentiful. There are other places in South America that do, but there's one company in Chile, their mines. And guess who's talking to them? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Yeah, because he's my boy. They're looking at, and BMW is also rushing to lock down supplies. Mm -hmm. um, the big deal 
is that lithium, obviously being a major part of where we're going with electric vehicles, you need a supply. Yep. Uh, Elon Musk needs a big supply because of the Model 3. Um, apparently, the way that this stuff is mined, it's in some brine that you basically dry, compact, to produce. And they're looking at Tesla's even considering building a factory to process the stuff so they can ship it to the Gigafactory in Nevada and have an uninterrupted supply of lithium. The question is, what does that do for everybody else? Basically, is going to stifle them from being able to get material. Mm, could. Um, the issue is another country that also has supplies of lithium. And that would be? China. Aha. Oh. Argentina. And a few other countries in South America. It seems that South America seems to be ground zero for the availability of lithium. I think that we should plan a tour down there. And... Yeah, no. Um, even Toyota has arranged a multi-million dollar deal for a 15% stake in a company, an Australian company, that produces lithium in Argentina. And the other fella that's down there looking for supplies mm -hmm. is Sir James Dyson, your yeah. British inventor guy. Yep. Yeah. yep. Mm -hmm. Now, you're saying that they're looking at companies that are already established. Are you aware of any automotive companies that have bought perhaps a company that is actually currently mining lithium? No. Okay. Right now, it seems that it's better to just buy the supplies rather than be... Because you're looking at investment, government yeah. situations, management, and a lot of money. I'm um, just curious. Even the solid-state stuff we talked about, right. Toyota's at the forefront of that, and it's still 8 to That's 10 good. years. Here's another um, component that you need in making um, for electric cars. Cobalt. And there's one country in the world that dominates cobalt production. And that would be? The Democratic Republic of Congo. Oh, now we got another little problem, um, and I'm going to read it. The Democratic Republic of Congo dominates global cobalt production, raising concerns for the security of supply and about environmental and social problems, including the use of child labor. Oh, brother. Yep. The, the companies like Samsung are looking to recover cobalt from old mobile phone batteries and even looking at a way to even replace cobalt in the creation of these batteries. So there's some of that going on. Now, here is another related problem. The decline of OPEC. How is that a problem? Um, well, if electric vehicle demand goes up, mm -hmm. Oil demand goes down. Right. Uh, right now, if things stay on track by next year, the United States of America will become the number one producer of crude oil in the world, which is ironic considering our rush to electric cars. Yeah, we're all late to the party. I'll say it again. By next year, well, I'll back up. In the last three months, they have the industry has reported growth due to coming back online of our shale oil fields, mm -hmm. a gr an unprecedented growth per day in production of in the United States of 846,000 barrels of crude a day increase 
in the last three months. Wow. Yeah. How ironic that even as we go to electric, we now are awash in crude. When even 15 years ago, we were worried about foreign impact. Now, the new, the new chase is lithium, not crude oil. Imagine that. Are you thinking OPEC is going to go try to find it? OPEC has got their own problems in terms of you got all this oil. And what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Saudi Arabia is even diversifying away from oil. Yep. So when I return, what Jack and Sasha has been waiting for, <laughs> the conversation about the power grid, cybersecurity, and you. This is Roadworthy Drive. to roadworthydrive.com to check out Ken's blog, listen to past shows, and the times when you can see the show on Facebook Live. This is the last installment of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Now, during this hour, I've been talking about the different aspects of the electric car, infrastructure, uh, the metal lithium, the white petroleum of the electric car movement. And now I am ready to discuss the cybersecurity of the electric grid itself and why it matters more now than ever before. This is the part Jack and Sasha have been waiting for. Okay. I need to find this gentleman. Okay. I saw a presentation a few years back mm-hmm. who basically – he listed out everything that could possibly go wrong with the grid system mm-hmm. and why it needed – why the infrastructure needed to be updated. Mm-hmm. But I just need to find – I need to find that guy and find that presentation. But go on. Uh, I'm going to start with this. Okay. What if I told you that the current model for the grid mm-hmm. is outdated? Uh, that would be correct. Yeah, but I'm going to go a little further. Okay. What if I said that it's obsolete? Oh, you're going to have to convince me on that point. Uh-huh. Good. Um, the, and I want to take you back to something we reported on kind of not quite in the weeds, but near the weeds, maybe a few months back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk set up um, battery power to capture the renewable uh, generation of wind and solar power in Western Australia. Yes. Yep. They admitted it was the first time in their history that they were able to do that and give the province a predictable, uh, regular, even source of power. Correct. What if the group of vehicles, as they grow, um, could be a source of power to the grid? We've talked about that before, yeah. Let's go one step further. Okay. BMW... And Pacific Gas and Electric actually did a test a couple of years ago. Now, oh. for those of you that don't know, PG&E, Pacific Electric and Gas. Gas, or, electric, gas and Electric, I'm sorry. California. In California. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh-huh. They did a test where they were able, they set it up where 100 owners of BMW i3 cars in the San Francisco area mm-hmm. could be put together with minimum uh, uh, disruption to each owner to provide um, 
base power as needed to the grid. And I'm talking 100 kilowatts of power. Okay. <clears throat> that they did it over 18 months. Mm-hmm. That, and we talked about this too, that the algorithms in electric battery storage um, have, can be worked so that actually putting, drawing down power actually preserves the battery and extends its life. Okay, and we've talked about that before. Uh-huh. Well, this is the same model where okay. as they needed power, they provided power into the grid. They pulled power from the grid at low times when the demand was low. And it was so transparent to the owners, they really didn't even know. There was no compromise. In other words, I couldn't drive my car at such and such a time or whatever. As they needed it, and I think, I want to say, and i got to see if I can find it right quick in my notes, but they did it a number of times over this 18 months, and it was transparent to the, to the owners. Okay. Would you please define what that transparent term means in this case? It means that the power was provided with no degradation in the availability, drivability, or range of each of those cars. Okay. In other words, if people didn't, hadn't signed up, they wouldn't have known. Okay. You know, they had to sign up for it. Now, I'm trying to back up, and I'm looking for this because it was really awesome and what they talked about in terms of this test. And I cannot find it, that figure, story of my life, but we'll, we'll see. But there are other states. Well, I, I can't find what I really was looking for because I probably shuffled the paper somewhere. And that's unfortunate because it was really, really awesome. Make yourself a note. I will make find myself it, a note. Find it for next week, and we'll talk about I it. I will. But, but what I will talk about is the electric grid, and really the electric grid as we know it. Um, its major point of contention is because so much of it now is exposed to the Internet and third-party maintenance and uh applications and, and monitoring applications. Well, and not only that, too, but it's so intertwined that if one part of it goes down, it could take more parts of it down, too. Mm-hmm. So there's a, lot of con- there's a lot of conversation about cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Now, in New Jersey, the utilities are required to develop programs and procedures to identify and mitigate cyber risks, importing incidents and suspicious activity, create incident response and recovery plans, as well as providing training programs. There are other states, Idaho, North Dakota, Rhode Island, Virginia, and Texas, which has established state-specific efforts to access cybersecurity infrastructure, recommend ways to enhance the resiliency of government operations, and to grow their cybersecurity industry and workforce. So what the argument is, is that the writer of this is really purporting that this type of thing needs to happen at a state level. As opposed to a federal level. Yeah, and I can see that. What I'm taking to the next step is they're talking about having a backup source. And I was talking about this BMW and Pacific Gas and Electric mm-hmm. example as a way that you can create a microgrid within a community, within a neighborhood that does have anything to do with the existing grid. In fact, during power outages, this mini grid, this mini cluster could provide a way to recharge electric cars, provide power for this uh, neighborhood, you know, until such a time when the power was available on the grid. So 
I'm saying there are other ways available today and that they're being looked at that do not require uh, dependency, complete dependency on the grid as we know it. And that there's a microgrid movement afoot around the country, both for backup for electric cars as well as uh, a different power source to help mitigate spikes and valleys in demand. Okay, and you and I had talked about that. We've, we've talked here about this before, about having these little microgrids around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that happening. So while the grid itself, as we know it, is aging and needs updating mm-hmm. and will probably take a federal effort, at the local level, there's a growing group of uh, organizations and people at work, looking for ways to mitigate risks being plugged into the grid, both for electric cars in particular and for electric power in general. And that, in fact, the growth of electric vehicles may, in fact, hold the answer, maybe household by household and neighborhood by neighborhood. So food for thought there. That about does it as we wrap up another hour of Roadworthy Drive. Glad you could come along for the ride. On behalf of myself and the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. You have been tuned to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.